Amen. Thank you, folks. Appreciate that so very much. I'd like to invite you to grab your Bibles. Join me in Joshua chapter 23. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, there's one there in the back of the pew in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along. We endeavor this morning to allow God's Word to speak, and we trust He'll do so uh, through this message and through His Scriptures this morning. At the close of our service, we'll have a quick baptism, and so we're excited about that too. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful day in the Lord's house. I trust you've already been blessed in the music and other ways and Sunday school and things like that. Joshua chapter 23. We'll actually be going back and forth between Joshua 23 and 24, but we'll start in Joshua chapter 23. As we think of this chapter and the man for whom it is named, obviously the book, uh, we think of him as a great soldier, and Joshua was. There's no doubt about that. Uh, He had unprecedented success in conquering the nations of the wilderness and, and also in the promised land. God used him. He was a mighty warrior. If you want to talk about a tough guy, Joshua was a tough guy. He fought battles like crazy. He led uh, the nation of Israel into great battles. And uh, this was a man. And uh, I think of America's history and many uh, generals, General MacArthur and others that we, we think of as, as great mighty warriors and soldiers. Joshua was that for Israel. Now we come to these two chapters and there's a reality. We see a different side of Joshua, okay? Many here, you might have had a father, you might have had a grandfather that was rough and tough on the outside. They had a tough exterior, but you knew that down inside there was a snuggly teddy bear there. They had a heart, right? They were caring. They didn't often show it, maybe. They didn't often, uh, that wasn't on display, and maybe that describes some of the men here. But you know, beneath the rough facade, there is a, a teddy bear mentality there, a caring mentality. Now, that's Joshua in these chapters. We come to this point, we think of him as a soldier, and that's recorded many times over. But here he is, he's speaking from a heart that cares. He's really speaking, might we put it this way, as a leader of a group of people, as a head of a family, and as a shepherd of a flock, and his flock would be Israel if we could describe it as such. And he is showing some loving concern for the people. See, Joshua has been faithful in serving the Lord. He's a great hero of the faith, hero of the Old Testament. He, he followed him time and time again, but now he, he's concerned as many fathers here might be. He was concerned that in the time ahead, in the future, that whether he be present or especially if he is gone, off the scene, taken to heaven, that the nation of Israel would become unfaithful to God. They would lose or depart or forfeit the blessings of God. Now Joshua wasn't alone in this. Peter in 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter number 2, he likewise shared the same, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, he shared the same concern. As he wrote there, he, he said, don't forget, remember, stay faithful when I'm gone. Paul said the same thing in Acts chapter 20 when he knew his time was coming to a close and he was going to be imprisoned and he didn't have much time to encourage and exhort. And so he likewise did the same. And we could even say Jesus Christ did as he saw his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension coming close. He did the same thing with the disciples. So it begs the question, why did all of these men, and certainly include Christ in that group, feel such a need for sharing concern and exhorting uh, those that they cared about? Don't miss it. Here's a simple truth. It is a tragic occurrence when one generation sacrifices to obtain God's blessings and a new generation comes along and forfeits it all through their choices in living. Here's the fear. 
Why does Joshua spend two chapters, and we'll see, once to the leaders and once to the people? And he said, listen, I'm worried, I'm concerned, this is just a caring father, a a father that's a little concerned, and I want to exhort you and challenge you, stay faithful to God. Don't live in any way, don't make any choices that would forfeit the blessings of God. Why is he like that? Why did Peter say that in 2 Peter? Why did Paul say it in Acts 20? Why did Jesus Christ even kind of share that with the disciples and the, his followers? Because, my friend, it is a shame when one generation sacrifices. One generation comes to the truth of the realization that if we remain faithful to God, we will heap unto ourselves God's blessing, and that next generation or generations that follow forget faithfulness to God. And I would dare say that certainly as a nation that we have seen that play out in our own history. We've seen that reality in many different ways, in many different aspects. And so the challenge for us today is, is don't let that happen. Look at verse 1 and verse 2 of uh, Joshua chapter 23. Let's see what Joshua says and why he encourages them to not allow this to happen. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass, and I like this statement, a long time after the Lord had given rest under Israel. That was a blessing of the Lord. They were experiencing rest, blessings of the Lord, because of their Joshua's faithfulness and their faithfulness of the Lord to this point. Notice it. Rest into Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Verse 2, and we'll read here. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. Okay, so verse 1 and 2, what is the point of these two verses? Joshua is old. That's it. Okay, Joshua is old. He's well stricken. He's, he's, he knows that he got one, no, one foot out the door, in a sense. All right? I like what Pastor Adrian Rogers once said. He asked his wife if when he got old and gray, if she would still love him. She said, I sure do. Some of you will catch that later. Yeah, that's probably good. Uh, that's Joshua, right? He's old. He knows that time is, is, is ending in And he wants to impart some important information. In fact, he wants to instill devotion and commitment to the leaders of Israel and the people of Israel. Why? Now listen to me. Young people, listen. Your your parents are getting older. Uh, Okay, you may not realize it yet, but they are. Okay, now listen to me. There's still work to be done. There's a job to be done. And we need more generations, and we need younger generations to step up to the plate, if we could put it that way, and realize that we are wonderfully blessed by God, but it will only continue if we remain faithful to God and His Word. And so this is the exhortation, and I, I, I called this message, you probably already called, caught it, the, the appeal of a father, a father's appeal. And that is very much what Joshua is acting like. He's like a father of a nation. He has them gathered around them, and he's imparting and exhorting them, challenging them, stay faithful, stay committed, stay uh, devoted to God. You're going to be left to carry on the work. Be faithful to God, and you will find him faithful to you. And can I tell you right now, every father here, I dare say, if you are, have a heart for the Lord, your desire for your children is to stay faithful to him and to remember that he will stay faithful to you. 
That's essentially what Joshua is saying here. And he certainly doesn't just leave it to the leaders. He also says it to the people. Look at chapter 24, if you will, with me. Chapter 24, look at verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for the judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Verse 2, just the first part. And Joshua said unto all the people. So he gathers everybody, all of Israel together and he gathers them to Shechem. Now, Shechem's kind of important in Israel's history. It was the place where God promised Abraham the land first. It was also the place where Jacob built his altar and such and, and encouraged his family to put away their idols and things. And so it was very much a special place to Israel. So Joshua gathers them there, and we can picture much like church. He gathers them together in, in that assembly. He appeals to them to remain faithful to God. And one of the challenges here is this. Don't, don't go back. Don't run to the idols, don't, and we'll see it, don't, don't get caught up in the nations that are here. Don't get caught up in this land, the people of the land, in which you are pilgrims, in which you are strangers. Don't allow them to lead you astray. Because he knew that they would forfeit their wonderful inheritance, that land, the rest that God had given them. So what is his appeal? Three parts to the appeal, and we'll be done. Number one is this, okay? Um, first of all, um, the appeal is remember God's goodness in the past. Remember God's goodness in the past. Look back at chapter 23. Look at verse number 3 and 4, if you will. We'll read uh, the scriptures here for a few moments. Notice verse 3. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Verse 4. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes. From Jordan, with all the nations that I have cut off, even to the great sea westward. Jump down to verse number 9, if you will, with me. Verse number 9. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong nations. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto you this day. Now, he says that to the leaders, the people gathered there. Turn to chapter 24. Look at verse number 2 and following. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, now you'll see an emphasis here, Your fathers, your fathers, your fathers. It's appropriate on Father's Day. Notice it. Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. Verse 6, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, rose and roared against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And he went over Jordan and came into Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the otherites in the world, right? And I delivered them into your hand, and I sent the hornet. What a great story. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, 
but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. I have given you a land. Now notice this statement. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities for which ye built not. And ye dwell in them of the vineyards and the olive yards which ye planted not, do ye eat. Man, what a statement. This is Joshua standing up here. And young people are like, oh great, here it is. Joshua's waxing eloquent again. It's like, you know, when, when older people say, well, back in my day, we went to school uphill both ways. You know, it's, it, we think of that, and that's kind of, but this is all di- altogether different. He's focusing the attention on God. Listen, this is what God has done. He goes all the way back to the, the birth of the nation with the call of Abraham. He, he recalls the wonders that some of these folks saw, their fathers saw, and, and heard of for sure. The plagues, the deliverance from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the deliverance in the wilderness, things again, time and time again. Now, now don't miss it. You know what Joshua's saying? And and young people, I just encourage you right here, uh, your second generation, third generation, fourth generation Christians, never forget that the blessings of God you enjoy today came as a result of God working in the past. In your family, in your family tree, you say, well, I've grown up in a a godly home. I've been attending church my whole life, and I've been blessed to be around the Scriptures and the Bible. Do not take that for granted. You've had somebody who cared enough to say, you know what? We need to be faithful to God because God is faithful to us. And so we're going to follow his word. We're going to listen to his word and we're going to obey it and heed it. And my friend, you and I, as second and third and fourth and fifth generation Christians, we get to reap the blessings. As he said, what? The vineyards and the olive yards, you didn't plant them. You didn't put them in the ground, but you get to eat of them. I sure am thankful I get to eat of the vineyards my father and my grandfather and others before them planted spiritually. Man, I'm grateful that we get to reap those blessings. Don't forget the goodness of God. You know what I love here? Joshua's not saying, and in fact, it's God speaking through Joshua. It isn't Joshua saying, well, I led you, and I did this, and I I brought down the walls of Jericho. No, Joshua's not tooting his own horn. In fact, he gives all the glory to God. He fought the battles. He fought those people for you. He delivered you. He brought victory. And can I tell you, my friend, none of us stand here today or sit here today of our own abilities and accomplishments. It is all of God. And where we stand in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with anything we accomplish. It is all of Him. You see, one of the great responsibilities of fathers and parents and dads, could I remind you again, as I have often on Father's Day and other days, one of our greatest responsibilities is to remind future generations of God's goodness in the past to bring it to mind, to recall it, to to keep it before them, to speak of the things that God has done in our lives, in our family trees, and in our church, and the things that God has done, and remind them and bring them before it, giving Him glory for all that He's accomplished. Now, there's another important truth in this appeal, and it's specifically in that one in chapter 24. He accounts or recounts how God graciously gave the land to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. He protected the Jews in Egypt. Delivered them by his mighty hand there in the wilderness also. He provided for them. He protected them. He defeated the nations and in and outside the, the promised land. He brought them over the Jordan River. And I love that statement, how he chased them out. And I love that verse with the hornet. And somewhere, we, we don't know the full extent of it, but it sure seems like God used some kind of animal or hornet. I don't know about you. I don't like hornets. And uh, chased out Anna, Anna, armies, whole armies, with some kind of divine intervention through some kind of animal and so forth. And chased them away. And that's amazing. 
in. He said, you didn't use your sword. You didn't use your bow. Those armies fled before you. What amazing truth. And so he recounts all of this, and, and here's the statement. I kind of alluded to it before. The fact is this. They were now enjoying blessings they could never gain. Uh, they could have never gained is what that should have said. Excuse me. They could have never gained, uh, could have never gained through their own hands. Okay, uh, it, 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 it's nothing. What they're enjoying, they could have never gotten that on their own. It is all of God. And so that's part of the reminder here. And they could never achieve these things by their own might. God deserves their love and service is what Joshua is in essence saying. It's a, wonder, a, a wonderful account and appeal. And I draw your attention to the end of verse number two, okay, of chapter 24. Look at it at the end of verse number two. Notice the statement. I think this is crucial to bring out. The end of verse number two, he says what? I brought this nation, I brought you as a people out of a heathen nation that did what? Served idols. See, Abraham and his family, they were in a land and even his family served idols. They they were a heathen nation, a secular uh, group of people. And Abraham was brought out of that. He was saved, and, and never forget, in God's economy, it doesn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. One must always be saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, so Abraham was saved by faith. He was brought out of that, and, and now he's enjoying the, and he enjoyed the blessings of Jehovah. Uh, and the fact is this, and he, he was saved out of a life that was wrapped up in worshiping lifeless idols and gods. Now, I speak to many here who are second and third and fourth generation Christians. That simply means that you have parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, maybe beyond that, that knew the Lord, and, and they tried and endeavored to bring your family up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But can I remind you of this, and I think this is a crucial truth that would do us all to remember. Somewhere in your family tree, there was someone who knows what living in this world without God is like what it means to live a life serving another God. Somewhere in your family tree, you can go back to the first person who, who trusted in God and who came to know Jesus Christ, and you will find someone who, had, like Abraham, I've experienced life away from God and his blessings and all that his word brings. I have experienced it, and I, I don't want to go back to those gods. And they change your family tree. They've impacted and influenced so that now you and I can stand here. We can sit here today and we can experience the very blessings of God because God has been faithful because there's people in our heritage, there's people in our family tree that have stayed faithful to God. They come to understand that that is no way to live. Now I'll tell you right now, there's no father in this room who has, who has a lick of common biblical sense that wants his children to go, ever go back to living for another God. The gods of this world, whatever they may be. And that's what Joshua says. Don't, don't go back there. He saved us out of that. We've been saved out of this world that lives for themselves, that lives for other gods. We've been saved from that. Don't go back there. There's some here in this, in this pew, and boy, I enjoy talking to first-generation Christians. The first ones of a family that have come to know Jesus Christ and many of them are endeavoring to see a parent saved, a, a grandparent saved, and, and brothers and sisters and such. And, and there are some here sitting who are Abrahams. You're a first generation Christian in your family and you can remember vividly what it is like to live without God, to not know a life full of his blessings. And you more than anyone would scream to the rooftops tonight. Or this morning, excuse me, don't ever forget the goodness of God to our family. 
what he has done, where he's brought us, how we are now experiencing the very blessings of God. Young people, could I encourage you to listen to the appeal of your parents, your fathers, your mothers, your grandparents who have tasted, some who have tasted life without God, some who have strayed from God. They have, they have gone away from him and they want you to heed their warning. You see, the simple reality is when you and I repeatedly remember God's goodness in the past, it encourages our faithfulness in the present. So when you and I remember God has been so good to our family, he has blessed us and he blessings upon us. He has guided us and directed us. It doesn't mean that there have been difficult times and such, but God gives grace. And as we remember those things, it encourages and strengthens my faithfulness to him in the, in the present. I love Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. He kind of just is honest. He kind of just says it plainly here in Joshua 23, 14. Notice what he says. And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. I like that. I'm, I'm going to die. It's going to happen. And ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls, you know this to be true, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. You know what he's saying? My friend, your God has been unfailingly faithful. And so it encourages us, you and I, that our faithfulness for today and tomorrow can find its inspiration in God's unfailing faithfulness in the past. I love it. He says, listen, don't, you know it. Don't act like you don't know it. <laughs> don't, don't pretend you're not aware of this. God has been unfailingly faithful in the past. Everything he said has come to pass. Remember God's goodness in the past. That's where Joshua starts his appeal. But that's not where he ends it. Turn to chapter 23, verse number 5, if you will, with me. Verse 5. Notice what he said. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them before, from before you. This is kind of in the present tense, okay? Future present in a sense. And drive them from out of the sight, out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Look down to verse number 10. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. Okay? So what Joshua is well aware of is they have not conquered the entirety of the promised land. There are still some nations that need to be ran out and kicked out of the promised land. And so he's telling them, Okay, let's remember God's goodness in the past, but number two, remember God's promise for the future. There's still work to be done. Can I tell you right now, God's workers change, but his word and promises remain the same. God's workers change. We, we think here, Fond Story of Baptist Church, in over 50 plus years, and those that I was thinking this week as I walked up and down the hallways, oh, to hear all the voices of people that have taught Sunday school in these rooms. Oh, to be able to hear over 50 plus years all the voices uh, that have preached in the pulpit, that have taught in Sunday school, that have ministered here at Fostoria Baptist Church. Can I tell you right now, God's workers change, but God's work and promises remain the same. There's work to be done. And he promises as he was with them in the past, he will be with you in the future and in the present. See, the God that did all that in the past is still the God of today, and he will be the God of the future. There's work to be done. There's ground to be gained, enemies to expel from the land. And I would say this. I think this is the encouragement Joshua is saying to the people and the leaders. Don't miss it. He's really saying this. The best still lies ahead for your family. For this nation, the best still lies that God's going to do some mighty things, some great things in the future like he did in the past. And I would tell you, dads, one of the greatest heritages you can pass on to your children 
It isn't just that the past was the greatest thing ever and woe to you because you live in the present. No, no. You know what you and I can pass on even though we live in a dark world? The best still lies ahead for this family. The best still lies ahead. As we stay faithful to God and he is faithful to us, we're, we're going to continue to rewrite the history of our family tree. We're going to continue to see our family blessed in ways we could have never imagined because we are going to remain faithful to God. See, his promises are for the future. Remember them. Still work to be done in your family. Ground to be gained. Lives to be changed and devoted to God. And I love this truth. Spiritual victories to be won. There's still spiritual victories to be won in your family, in your family tree. Joshua encouraged Israel that God would be there to fight those battles for them in the future, to help them in the work yet to be done. You see, I believe every family here, just by your very presence here, demonstrates that God has been at work in the history of your family. That you're here. That you're attending a, a Baptist church, a church that preaches the word of God. That if you are here and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you know if you die today, you're going to heaven. My friend, God has done a wondrous work in the past of your family, in its history. And he has shown himself strong on our behalf. But man, I'm telling you right now, and I say it to my own children, I say it to your children, I say it to our grandchildren, God still has work to be done. In your life and in my life and in our family and your family and the family tree, God has work yet to do. Victories to be won. He wants to do more. Joshua's appeal and the appeal of every God-fearing future, or excuse me, every God-fearing father for the present and for the future is this. Remember God's promise, his promise of helping you, of blessing you, of victory in the future. You know what I like? God worked in Egypt in those plagues. Amazing miracles. But can I tell you, I'm sure I'm thankful for Israel that the same God that did the plagues in Egypt showed up at the Red Sea. And you know what? That God that showed up at the Red Sea and, and put that darkness, as we read, put the darkness between Israel and Egypt. And then as, as Pharaoh and his soldiers came into the sea and the sea goes, whoop. And they were taken care of. I sure am glad that same God showed up at the Jordan River. Separated that Jordan River. They could walk in that promised land on dry ground. And I'll tell you, I, I, I'm just assured. Joshua probably was sure thankful that same God showed up at Jericho. And those walls came tumbling down can i just encourage you the reality is this your god will show up in the future stay faithful so joshua said stay faithful remain faithful to him the same god that of the past will show up in the future you can count on him now there's one last aspect to this appeal okay number one remember god's goodness in the past number two remember god's promise for the future number three remember your responsibility for the present and I love this aspect of this truth because now Joshua's saying, all right, here's what you need to do. Here's your responsibility. This is where his heart really comes through, if I could put it this way. He, he appeals to them to remember the responsibility with which God is challenging them, exhorting them. Look at verse 6 of chapter 23. We'll start there. Verse 6 of chapter 23. He says this, be ye therefore. Now, whenever you read a be ye therefore, okay, it, it's a pretty good imperative, a statement. This is what you need to do. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Okay, letter A, what, what's part of this appeal for the responsibility of the presence? It's this, number one, be courageous to do and keep God's word. Now, I find it interesting that Joshua understood a truth that I think many of us need to come to grips with this morning is this. It really does take courage to live godly in this present world. 
It takes courage. Okay? Uh, young people, I, I, I am so very thankful and proud of those who serve in our armed forces, and they show abundant and amazing courage. I, I love thanking veterans, and anytime I see one out and about, I love going up and talking to them, saying thank you for their service, whatever the case may be. I love that because they have shown great courage in serving our country. But I'll tell you, the thing that's going to impact America the greatest with Christians who show courage to live godly, courage to do and to keep God's word. Joshua understood as we didn't take over this promised land, we're, 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 you're going to have to show courage to keep and do God's word. You see, my friend, to say that you're living by this book takes courage. People say, hey, what, what guides you? What directs you? What, where, where do you look to for wisdom and counsel? I, I look to the book, God's Word. Uh, somebody asks you, what, what, what are you doing spending your life? I, I just want to serve the Lord. I want to be a servant of the Lord. Now, that takes courage to say that and to claim that, but that is the path of blessing. That's what Joshua is saying here. And I'll just tell you right now, there is somebody, and you ought to be thankful for this, children, it may be your father, maybe a grandparent, and it, it may be someone down your family tree line, but there was somebody who showed courage to listen to God's word, to trust in God, and to then purpose in their heart to keep and do God's word. See, I put it this way, that is what brought God's blessing on your family. Never forget it. Someone, sometime, somewhere was courageous in doing and keeping God's word. And you know what I say? Praise the Lord. In your life and in my life, someone took heed. Someone did what this. Be very courageous to follow God's word, to do it and to keep it. Be courageous to not turn to the left or to the right. And there's a danger that he presents to them here. For you and I, there's a great danger now that as you and I are pilgrims and strangers in this present world. And we find that in the New Testament. We won't turn there. But several passages warn of the danger that if we don't show courage, uh, what can sometimes trip us up. And that is simply this. And do not miss it this morning. Friendship with the world friendship with the world now here's the thing in joshua's day and we'll read here in just a moment you know what he was saying and the 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 thrust of his message his appeal was this be careful there's some of these nations you need to kick out that are still around and if you're not careful they will influence you and affect your obedience to god will affect your faithfulness to him so be careful because friendship as james chapter 4 says friendship with the world is enmity with god it's enmity with god in fact, there's other passages that clearly lay that simple truth out. And for Israel of old, it, it was represented in the heathen nations of that land that they were supposed to drive out. Look with me at verse number 7 here. Verse number 7. Notice what he says. We just read verse 6. Be therefore very courageous. Let's look at verse number 7. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you. Neither make mention of the names of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. And here's the statement. Listen, if you get among those nations, and later on we'll see, he warns them, don't, don't marry with them. Don't, don't get caught up in what they're living for and what they're living like. Don't let that affect you, because if you do, that's going to cause you to worship and serve their gods. Now listen, I'd have a question for you this morning. If we were to take this same warning from God and apply it to us today, what would we describe as the gods of the people of this nation? The gods of the people who live around us. What do they live for? Who do they worship? And the warning would be for you and I to make sure that doesn't rub off on us. That we don't live for the same things. That we don't worship the same gods. 
that we don't allow that to affect us in a way that would be negative and would keep us from faithfully serving our God. You see, the danger was found in making themselves, what is he saying, and don't miss this, making themselves at home among the nations. You're supposed to kick out these nations. You're supposed to get them out of this promised land, but you want to go and sit down on the couch with them and make yourself at home. You want to become chummy in friendship with these nations, and it's also a great threat today. See, the world around us, the culture we live in, and all of its pursuits and all of its gods, little g-gods, it is not conducive or encouraging of courageous obedience to God. It doesn't help that. It doesn't encourage that. And the world around us is tempting. It's alluring. It's enticing to Christians. It appeals to us to normalize friendship with the world. Now, Christian, listen to me very carefully. The appeal and the encouragement is for you and I to normalize a Christianity that is friends with the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. He hates it. So don't be friends of the world. Don't normalize a Christian who is sitting in the world, chummy with the world, sitting on the couch of the world, participating in all the things that the world pursues and making their priorities your priorities, making their little G-gods your gods. Don't do that. Because you know what you'll do? You'll forfeit the blessings of God. That's what Joshua's saying here. And it's for you and I to heed. So you know what that takes? Because I'll tell you, boy, that television can, boy, it, it can tempt you. What others around you at work and play, they can tempt you to live for something else, to live in a way. Ah, the music and the movies of the world, where they can tempt you to reevaluate things and reprioritize your life. You know what it takes? Courageous Christianity. Be courageous. How does he put it here? Be courageous to do and to keep God's word. Can I just tell you, dads, right now, I want to challenge you. We need courageous Christians today. Fathers who lead their home, not in being friends with the world, but being faithful to God. His word, doing what's right, living in such a way that pleases him, ensuring that the world at large does not impact us and influence us in our thinking, in our philosophies, in our practices, our activities, our hobbies. We're not going to allow it to do the, cause us to do anything that would not be pleasing to God. It requires and demands courageous Christianity. We need fathers today that do that and children and, and wives and families that follow a father in doing so. You see, my friend, he would say also, what does that require? Well, it also requires be um, courageous. Hang on a second. There we go. Okay. Um, uh, be courageous. Send me back up here. Letter B. That's not supposed to say courageous. Okay. Sorry. That's supposed to say be cleaving. <laughs> be cleaving to the Lord. Okay. Look at verse number eight, if you will, with me. Quickly, notice it, verse number 8 of chapter, of chapter 23. But cleave unto the Lord, we read verse 6 and 7, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. Okay, Cleave unto the Lord your God. I love that statement. Um, we think of leaving and cleaving pertaining only to marriage. But it's a spiritual mandate too. It's a spiritual mandate too. Okay, Leaving and cleaving. Look at chapter 24. Look at verse 23. Chapter 24, verse number 23, if you will, with me. Okay, Notice what it says. Now, therefore, put away. Leave. Okay, Leave, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline well, your heart. Cleave your heart um, unto the Lord God of Israel. Okay, It's a spiritual mind. You see the statement here. Leave the, the gods of this world, the gods of self and wealth, and cling to God alone. Uh, we had the wedding yesterday, and, and we spoke about this cleaving aspect. You leave and you cleave. And that clinging to, I find it interesting that Joshua says here, listen, 
in your love for God and your faithfulness to him, cling to him, cleave to him. Don't do it to those other gods and the gods of this world. Make him the apple of your eye, the one you run to, the only one you're connected to. In chapter 23, in verse 12, if you will read it in just a moment, but he says, don't cleave to the remnant of these nations. It's clear that we all are going to cleave to something. So I'd ask you this morning, what are you cleaving to? Are you cleaving to God? Or are you cleaving to the, the gods of this nation? The things of this old flesh in this world, are you cleaving to them more than you cleave to God? That whew, attaching yourself to, okay? I like to think of cleaving. I just put it in my own thing. Have you ever had a child, a young child, maybe a three or four-year-old, and uh, they're walking but maybe barely and so forth, and they get scared and they cling to your leg? Okay, like, <laughs> it's like you could almost walk around with them cleaning your leg. That's literally almost the meaning of cleaving to God. God, I'm not going to do anything without you. I'm not going anywhere without you. I, I, there, there, I'm not going to make any decision without you. I'm going to cleave to my God. I'm going to be faithful to him because I have found him to be faithful to me. That also requires something else, okay? So number one, be courageous to do and to keep God's word. Number two, you don't see it, but it's be cleaving to the Lord. Number three, and we hope that it's here, okay? It is, yes, be consistent in your love for the Lord, okay? Look at chapter 23 and verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, here's another imperative. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. I love that statement, take good heed unto yourselves. He's encouraging them to do what? Well, take a daily evaluation to make sure that God alone is the love of your life. That he has your heart. That the trappings of this world, the world itself doesn't hold your heart. That your affections aren't split. I, I said I like that appeal. Take good heed. Literally, evaluate. Okay, Make sure on a daily basis that your affections aren't split. That something else has your heart. He's calling their attention to it. It's not just a momentary attention. It's an ongoing, consistent attention to evaluate. Why such an emphasis? Here's the point, and don't miss it this morning. Because if you don't nurture, okay, if you don't nurture and build that love, it will grow cold. If you're not consistent in your love, if you don't nurture it and grow that love, it will grow cold, okay? Um, there's a great danger in forfeiture of blessing when that happens. In Revelation, he speaks to a church. He says, man, your love for me has grown lukewarm. And we know what the Bible says. He, he'll spew that out. He doesn't like lukewarm. He, uh, your love grows cold when we don't nurture it and grow it. Just like in a marriage, and the reality is this, you and I need to be consistent in our love for God. Because if we don't, it'll forfeit blessings. Look with me at verse 11 and 13. We read verse 11. Notice the following two verses, though. We'll see the next statement here. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Verse 12, else, don't miss this, else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Letter D, be certain of the consequences of failure. Failure to be faithful to God, it has some dire consequences. Boy, you read this, Man, uh, there's some dire consequences here. Uh, I stress for you and I today as modern Christians, this world can easily be a trap for us. 
That's what he says. Hey, those nations are going to be a trap for you. They're going to be a snare for you. They're going to be a scourge in your side. And I love this statement, a thorn in your eyes. That's pretty graphic. A trap, a snare, a scourge, a thorn in your eyes. Can I tell you right now, the world at large can be that? A culture and a world that does not love God, that does not encourage courageous obedience to this, it can be a trap and a snare. It can be a scourge in your side, a thorn in your eyes. You see, Joshua's trying to make a, a point very crystal clear. There will always, 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 always be consequences and forfeiture of blessing if you fail in your God-given responsibility in the present. Fail to be faithful in all those blessings your family has enjoyed, all of the ways that God has just blessed your family can be forfeited and will be. There's consequences to not being faithful to God. There's consequences to friendship with the world. There's consequences to not putting him first in things. Look at verse 15 and 16, if you will, with me. Notice what he describes. Therefore, it shall come to pass. I love this first statement of verse 15. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Verse 16, when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given unto you. You see, the land, the rest was the ultimate blessing for Israel, uh, for God. And he says, what? I'll pull it right out from under you. I'll, I'll take it away. You'll forfeit it as you fail. Now, now, don't miss this, okay? Here's the point. You know what Joshua's reminding them of? Because they're going to get started, and we know the history, because they get into the land, and they, after Joshua's death, and they just become okay with it. And they allow people to live there, the nations they should have chased out. And, and they th- start to think, okay, everything's okay, everything's fine. It's not, he said that, but it's really not going to happen. Now, don't miss this. Satan's greatest deception, and it was on display as early as the Garden of Eden, for the people of God is not that there will not be consequences of our actions and decisions, but rather that those consequences are not bad and are not what God says they will be. See, Satan comes along. He doesn't say, oh, they don't know. You remember what he said to Adam and Eve? What did God say? God said, we'll die. Oh, thou shalt surely not die. Your eyes are going to be opened. That's going to be a great new life for you. If you just eat of the fruit that God said don't. And all throughout the history of mankind, you know what Satan does? He doesn't say there's not consequences. He just says they're not as bad as God says they are. It's not really going to happen. Oh, no, listen, that, that Bible verse, be sure your sin will find you out. No, that, that's not true. That's not going to happen. God says friendship with the world is bad. No, no, no. You go ahead and be friends with the world. It's not that big of a deal. There won't be bad consequences to it. And down throughout the time, the history of mankind, Satan is there just simply saying, the consequences aren't that bad. You know what God says? There will always be consequences. And they are exactly what I have told you in my word. And friend, I'd encourage you this morning of the simple reality The simple reality that when you and I are not faithful, there will be consequences to our failure, our unfaithfulness to God. How deceived we can be to think that we can live in disobedience and not suffer the forfeiture of God's blessing as a consequence of those choices. Quickly, look at chapter 24 and verse 20. We're almost done. Notice it, if you will. Verse 20. He says this, if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. 
Ah, the blessings are contingent upon your faithfulness. So he said, I, I, I'm going to chasten you. I, I, I'm going to discipline you if you do wrong, if you're unfaithful. Now, we know it, humanly speaking. Boy, if I let my kids run around just because I just want only good things for them and I just want to treat them and give them everything they want, you know what I'm going to have? A spoiled brat. Now, listen. I am a father who loves his children. Am I perfect in it? Not at all. I fell more often than I would like. But I'll tell you this. Because I love my children, I discipline them. When they need a strong hand, when they need discipline and chastisement and they need punishment, I'll do it because I care about them. And I want to bring them back to, don't miss it, a place of blessing. A a place of their faithfulness to what we expect of them and a place of blessing. Now, can I tell you, I am thankful for a heavenly father that does the same. And that's what Joshua's saying. He is a faithful heavenly father that will not allow us to get away thinking there are not consequences to our failure. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Last but not least, here's the final aspect of this responsibility in the present. Look at chapter 24. We read it just a moment ago, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. Serve ye the Lord. Verse 15, as we read a moment ago. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the, God, uh, of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last but not least, we've gone through several of these. Number one, be courageous to do and keep God's word. Number two, cleave or be cleaving to the Lord. Number three, be consistent in your love for the Lord. Number four, be certain of the consequences of your failure. And last but not least, letter E or number five, you want to be clear, be clear in whom you choose to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Be clear in who you choose to serve. Here's what I have to say to you. I'm almost done. Would you listen carefully? Christians of all ages, make it obvious who you belong to. Make it crystal clear who you cleave to in everything you do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There ought not to be any closet Christians today at work, in your neighborhood, in the community, in your family. People ought to know who you are what you are, and who you have chosen to follow. Lukewarm and wishy-washy and undecided Christians don't sit well with God. The vivid picture is this. If you're a lukewarm Christian, lukewarm water, what does God do with it? Spews it out of his mouth. Now, some of you today, this week, maybe you've done that. I had a water bottle I left in a car, and I went to take a swig of it on one of the hotter days, and I'll tell you, that was not refreshing. That was nasty water. I spit that right out. Can I tell you, there's a God in heaven who loves you so much, he does not want you to be a lukewarm Christian. Not wishy-washy, not undecided, not unclear who you cleave to, who you live for, who, who, who you love. He wants you to be a clear Christian. You see, my friend, for a Christian to, be, <laughs> to try to be a friend of God and a friend of the world truly makes him enemies of both. A double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. You see, clearly choose and pursue that. Make the declaration today. Dad, if you're here and you haven't made the declaration, 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can I encourage you to do it today? Maybe there has been a time in the past, and your family knows that we, we've made this declaration. We've decided we're going to serve the Lord. Well, can I encourage you to commit to continuing that declaration? Living it out and making it clear. And uh, it starts with the example of leadership. Dads, it starts with you and I. You know, here, uh, I'd encourage you to confirm that choice. Uh, confirmed a relentlessly appeal to your own family to follow God as long as you live and as long as they live. Here's what's interesting, and we won't look at it, but three different times, verses 16, 21, and 24 of chapter 4. You know what the people said? Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. Oh, yeah, we're going to do that. Oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to cleave to God. You know what Joshua said? He, he responds in disbelief. You know why? Because he knows this. What is said by the lips is not always true in the heart. So it's easy to say, yeah, 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 well, for me, oh yeah, we'll serve the Lord. But I'll tell you, my friend, it's a whole different story to go out here and be courageous. And to live like a person who says, I want to be faithful to God. You know what he tells him bluntly? And do not miss this. There's a God in heaven who is holy. He is a jealous God. He will not share his children with anyone. He will not share any of us with the gods of this world, with our own self. He does not want to share. He is a jealous God. And I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful he is because that means he loves me. And he loves you. My friend, the encouragement is simple. It's a father's appeal from a man named Joshua who was very much a father of a nation. He said, remember the goodness of God in the past. Remember God's promises for the future. Remember your responsibility for the present. And what is that responsibility? It's be courageous in doing. Be cleaving to the Lord. Be consistent in your love for Him. Be certain of the consequences if you don't do so. And then be clear in your choice to serve God. My friend, when you do this, you will remain in a place of blessing and faithful to the Lord who is faithful to us. My Father, I thank you so very much for your word. I'm grateful for the challenge we've heard from this passage. And Lord, what a delight it is. And we rejoice and, and challenge in our hearts. And Father, we're thankful for how you've changed many of our, our family trees. And Lord, how there has been somewhere along the way that someone understood your goodness. And Father, that they understood your promises for the future. And Lord, they also understood their responsibility for the present. And so, Lord, I pray our hearts would be impacted today. I pray you'd convict some who, Lord, as you would only know, I certainly don't know, but you would know that if they're right now living in such a way that they're friends with the world, may they be convicted of that. Other, maybe we have forgotten your goodness in the past. Would you convict us of that? And Lord, as we go forward, I pray you'd encourage us and help us to be courageous, to cleave unto you, to be consistent in our love. And uh, Father, I pray that we would be clear in our choice and our decision to follow you. May it be obvious to others and those around us. And Father, as we do so, I pray we enjoy the blessings from your hand. Father, maybe there, there is an earthly father here who, who needs to reaffirm to his family that as for us, we will serve the Lord. Pray that it be done today. And Lord, I pray that it be a decision made even this morning. And that, uh, Lord, as that father makes that decision, that they would appeal regularly to their family to follow you, to be faithful to you as Joshua has done here. Father, I pray for the generations to come. I pray for my own children, my grandchildren, the, uh, the generations here represented in this church, that they would remain in your blessings by being faithful to you. May they not soon forget your goodness and may they understand you will be with them in the future and that, Father, there is a responsibility for the present. Thank you for the gifts that you have given us, the blessings. Thank you for your instruction and your word. And Lord, help us now to do it and put it in practice.
With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium.